Welcome back, guys. Nice to see you with another edition of DCA. I've got CTO Larson and I've got James from Invest Answers. We do have a jam-packed show for you guys today because as you can see, we were planning on talking about whether Bitcoin can get to 50,000 in 90 days, which we had a good case for. But now we started to see a slight pullback. And I think a lot of people are getting the pre uh, the pre FOMC jitters, which are normal every single time. So I think what we should talk about on the show, we should talk about the pre FOMC jitters, what we can expect from the FOMC. Then we should probably look at what realistic price targets are for Bitcoin. Then there are a whole lot of other narratives which I want to talk about. For one, I want to talk about Aptos because I think that this thing deserves to be shorted. And I want to hear your views as to whether this thing deserves to be shorted. There's also a massive layer two narrative, which has sprung out in the last couple of days. I, saw, I don't know if you guys saw, but Matic, Mina Protocol, uh, Metis all started to jump up. So let's talk about layer twos and how to invest in ETH layer twos. And then from there, we'll take it. We'll take the, our cue from the audience. We've got a, a live chat here. So people are saying Rani's closing his lungs. I'm not closing my lungs. I'm op actually opening shorts. We'll talk about those as well. Cool. So nice to see you guys. Welcome. Welcome back, James. Welcome back, uh, CTO. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to be here too. Greetings from my kitchen. So, oh wow, yeah, you're at home because we've moved the show a bit later to accommodate all of our all of our schedules. James is traveling. Um, our channel has just got too many shows at the moment, so we decided to bump the show up. Anyway, if you are new to the channel, subscribe to the channel. If you're if you're if you're a subscriber of our channel, subscribe to the channels uh, to James's channel and to CTO's channel. Also, like this content because this is kind of an unscheduled time. So if you like this content, it helps the YouTube algorithm know that we're here and we're doing a, a, good, a, a good job or a reasonably good job. All right, let's go, guys. So let's talk about FOMC this week. Um, we've got Powell between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, uh, inflation is coming down hard. Um, and, th and therefore, the market is kind of expecting him to raise rates by, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw this, but let me quickly, let me just refresh this. So there is a now a 98.1% chance that he's going to raise rates by 25 basis points and a 1.9% chance that he's going to raise rates by 50 basis points. Now, this, is, this was slightly different earlier. Earlier, it was a 99.1% and a 0.9% at zero interest rates. So obviously, with the markets coming down today, I don't know if you saw, but the, the US stock market's taking a little bit of a beating. Um, that's why crypto is taking a bit of a beating. I guess the market's getting the pre-FOMC jitters. What do you guys make of this FOMC that's coming up now? Uh, CTO, let's start with you. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I'm really actually looking forward to hearing uh, James's take on this one. But let me share two things here. If I just quickly share my screen. And uh, it's really an amazing tool, this one that you showed, where we can really see what the market thinks about these probabilities. And if anyone has missed it, there are tabs up here. So you can see that this is what they think for February. Um, and then you can continue clicking here. You see what market thinks about will happen in March, in May, uh, in July. And basically, it's all the way here, it's the same. The, the market thinks that what will happen here in February tomorrow, 450 to 475, will rem that's what market thinks all the way in March, in May, in June, in July, in September. See here, it's still the biggest bet in November, and then in December, the market thinks that, uh, no, actually it is still, now it's the same. It was different here in, uh, in the morning, actually. So market thinks that the Fed will stop hiking the rates after 
tomorrow. So I feel that this is an amazing tool and I have never seen it so sure of what will happen tomorrow as now. It's like 98% think the same thing. And usually market participants are in disagreement and uh, that's not what we're seeing here. So that will be super interesting tomorrow. And then, uh, or, or yeah, on um, February the 1st. And then another thing that I want to draw attention to, this is a chart that I really like. It's the dollar currency index or the dollar strength index. And it seems very dramatic today. A lot of things have changed. But if you look here, what nothing has changed. What has happened is that from mid-2021, uh, this has gone in a straight uh, parabola up, which broke in November. And since then, this is in a channel down, meaning that dollar car strength index is getting lower and lower in this channel. And that typically means that speculative assets like Bitcoin or tech stocks are going up. And just because there has been this spike here, like today or yesterday, that's just the bounce up from the, this channel bottom. You can see it here. You don't need to know any technical analysis to see that this is still in this channel, even though it has bounced up a little bit um, today. So I don't see any change in the trend, even though we have this slight bounce today. We'll come back to Bitcoin later, but just this is what... I observe from the macro, and now I really want to listen to James. What do you think of this, James? Yeah, I'm also. I must. Be, I must say, I'm pretty. I'm pretty keen to hear your view here. Well, it's first of all, it's comical to think that the Fed controls inflation. All they control is demand, and they can destroy demand. That's first of all, all they can do. There is a lot of fear out there in the marketplace. They're predicting a bloodbath ahead of the Fed Monday. So the sentiment, again, as of last week, as is this week, it's extremely negative. Now everybody's saying, well, the market's run too far too fast. It's been, you know, record-breaking January for Bitcoin since 2013. Mm. Same with the stock market. It's been up over 5%, which typically bodes well for the rest of the year. But whether they raise 25 points or 50 basis points, it makes no difference at this stage. All the damage will happen over the next four to six months. And that is the problem. You know, people think, well, JP, he controls the price of oil and controls the price of eggs. He doesn't do anything. And that's the crazy thing. So I think it's going to be a classic case of kind of, uh, how do you say, sell the news, buy the rumor type of thing or backwards because we're selling off before the news comes out. And I think the markets will rally after, but it all depends on his words and what he actually says tomorrow. When you look at when you look at um, Bitcoin's performance and the market performance in January, there's two ways to look at it. The first thing is that it comes back to mean reversion. So you'd say, listen, if if Bitcoin went up 37.02 percent in January, then you know we kind of hope you kind of expect that mean reversion would mean it would come down in February and March. But if I look historically at months where Bitcoin has like 2013, where Bitcoin overperformed in Jan, the continuation happened in Feb. So the question for me is, when you talk about mean reversion, are you talking about, do you think Bitcoin was under the mean and is now catching up to the mean? Or do you think that we've overshot in January and therefore some kind of mild pullback will be okay in February? Well, I think you got to look at the money flow. And there is a lot of money flowing into Bitcoin all of a sudden. And all the cohorts have been accumulating in January. And again, it goes back to the scarcity of Bitcoin. There'll come a time when people will get 
very alarmed when they see how few there are left, how that, you know, nearly 70% has moved in over two years, all that other stuff. That point is going to happen. I just don't know when. So when people talk about the feasibility of, you know, it bouncing to 50K in a couple of months, theoretically it's possible, but I think it's very unlikely. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw 30K sometime between the end of Feb and March, though. Okay, so I mean that's probably a good a good way to start our next discussion, which is we told the audience we'd discuss whether uh, discuss whether fifty k is possible in the next ninety days. Um, how do you see the next ninety days playing out, CTO? I know you want to talk some charts, and I think you've got some really uh, your your magic charts or your magic potion charts. I love the charts. So maybe let's start with the charts, and then James and I can can hop in from a fundamental point of view. Thank you. I'm very excited. Thanks for this opportunity. So here we have it. Here we have the Bitcoin chart. And like I said before, I think this, this dump today that feels very dramatic, oh, zooming out, you can't see it, right? It's like this tiny, tiny, tiny little blip over here. I think that that is insignificant. What is significant instead is this, that we have had a trend reversal. And now we're very close to the first real resistance, which uh, was the high from mid last year. That was when, uh, as you remember, from June, July, August, price went up, but it kind of went up in a downtrend, and then it hit resistance, and we've been down ever since. Now price is almost up at that first resistance, which is, you know, from mid uh, 24,500 up to about 25,000. So price okay. almost got there. Coincidentally, coincidentally, I just want to talk about that specific level coincidentally, because that for me is a much bigger level than you're making it out to be. Yes, it is a horizontal support, but there are two other supports that are happening there. And I think Benjamin Cowan alluded to this. It's a 200-week moving average and the 50-week moving average. And if you look more or less where they where the 200-week moving average is right now on Bitcoin, I'm going to mm -hmm. zoom out to that just to make it a bit easier. You can see that it's about the same level. So you've got is, a yeah. at, at the 200-week. And at the same time, the 50-week moving average is now heading towards that exact same spot. So to me, that's... Absolutely. There's even more, actually. So that, there is so many. There's the horizontal level, which is kind of... Uh, what I go for. There's also the volume node. If you look on the right side here, you can see at which level price has been, most volume has been traded. There's a volume node here around a uh, little below 25,000, 23,200. Uh, and we have the major resistance and we have the moving averages that a lot of people are following. So we're hitting up against that resistance. And what will happen from here is really key. I think what happened today isn't isn't a significant event. Today, stock markets are down. Uh, DXY, the like strength index, had a recovery. Then, of course, Bitcoin goes down a little bit, but it's insignificant. But if we zoom out even a little bit more, and you look on the right side of the chart, I hope everyone can see it. What you can see here, that if we cross this level, if we get through all the resistances here at the 25,000, the moving averages, as you say, the horizontal, uh, level, the volume. If we get through that, there is nothing from there all the way up until maybe 28,600, 28,700. If you look on the right side here, there was no volume traded there. 
that means that there is virtually, there's very little resistance. So if we break through this soon here, which we could do in this move, I think we bounce up almost immediately up almost to 30,000 and consolidate there maybe. And then we take it from there. But that's really what I'm looking, looking at. If we don't, if we reject here at this key level around 25,000, well, then maybe we're in for a longer consolidation. And if you, I don't know if it's visible here on the chart, but if we retrace a bit from this level here at 25,000 and then move back up, then this becomes an inverse head and shoulder. Here is a left shoulder, here becomes the head. And if we do like this, that becomes the right shoulder of an inverse head and shoulder. So if that happens, and then we break through, we have two, we get two more great entries. We get an entry when this shoulder turns around. We get another high confidence entry when the neckline breaks through, whenever it does. And those are high confidence entries, guys, in an uptrend and inverse head and shoulders in the chart. Those are great entries where I usually trade spot, but here I would probably enter with leverage because that's such a high confidence entry. If we break through now, okay, we don't get those entries then, but we, we, I would guess that we would uh, quickly jump up here to 28,000. What happens from that, then we have to take when we get there, but it's a very key point in the chart here. And I'm super excited. This is looking better than it has done ever uh, both of you alluded to that we have inflow in the market again and i'm uh, super excited super happy and those are the two main scenarios that i'm looking at either we break through this then we jump up to maybe twenty-eight thousand seven hundred, or we we reject here at resistance and we make a right shoulder and then we have more great entries to look forward to those are my two main scenarios and both are very bullish. Then if, if something else happens, okay, take it from there. But those are the two my two main scenarios right now. Okay, cool. So I, I like your scenarios. They, they're both bullish scenarios. I didn't hear any bearish scenarios. I heard, I, I heard either straight up or I heard an inverse head and shoulders. Both are good patterns for me. Um, yes. I, I must say, I think I'm buying the inverse head and shoulders. I'm not a chartist. So for me, I'm looking at it from a fundamentals point of view. And I think from a fundamentals point of view, I'm buying the inverse head and shoulders because that lines up with the, with, the, with the fundamentals for me. We'll talk about that in a sec. James, what do you think of that analysis? And, and what's your analysis of where this thing's going? Yeah, I think there's two things that are driving the market right now. One is the money flow coming in, especially from institutions. And that's there. You see that from all the cohorts, especially the bigger wallets. And the second thing is the manipulation is still happening. Like you saw the pump yesterday up a thousand bucks, nearly to 24K, sold off right at that level, straight down to 23K again. It's like, and now it's just a second sell down, but it wouldn't surprise me if we're back at 23K within a couple of hours again, because there's people just playing with volume right now, dumping, driving demand, playing with the market, stopping people out, taking their money. It's, it's back to the old days of what happened in 2020, 2021. But much harder to manipulate the market now. Much harder to manipulate the market now because well, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not because the balance on exchanges is so thin. So liquidity isn't there on exchanges. Mm. Maybe Binance I'm, might accept I'm going to push back there and I want to show you why. So I've just, I, I saw some tweets in, the, in our research group earlier which showed, which analyzed 
the inflow onto exchanges. And, and, and I think if I remember correctly, the balance on exchanges is actually higher than it's been in a long time. I'm not saying it is, um, it is at, at its peak. I'm just trying to find the data, but I know that it was higher than, it, than it's been for a, for a long time. Uh, yeah, okay, I can't find it here. I'm going to spend time looking for it. But I did see that the balance on exchanges is, 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 is quite high. And the volumes are also very high. So for me, it's very hard to manipulate the market when the volumes are high and the data on exchanges is, is and the balance on exchanges is very high. I think it's still possible. Um, like the, the levels yesterday were just uncanny what they hit and where they went down to. So but we'll see. But there is an awful lot of perp action as well. I mm. think open interest in perpetuals is like at two year highs. Yeah. And some of the options action is at all time highs. So that's been pretty impressive as well. So the yeah, question is, where is the money flowing? And the guys that are buying perps are probably manipulating spot or vice versa. So yeah, the, the perps level is back to where it was just before FTX. So it was, you see that that's the level on, uh, on, on November 5th. If you remember on that, on that day, we were getting a bit of a pump. So you remember when FTX was during Solana a breakpoint and we were, you see, we were just on the way up and we were getting a beautiful pump and the, the, the open interest was opening. And then bang, we got the FTX collapse, which flashed out all the leverage. And you can see that, um, Hold on, let's just open it up here. You can see that all the leverage was flashed out over here. You can see that 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 green line over there. And then we're back. We're back in business now. Hopefully, we hopefully we don't get destroyed again now because we, we're kind of back in business now. Um, all right, yeah. I mean, look, my view is I think I actually buy into this analysis over here, um, which was done by Jason Pizzino. Now, I'm not really looking at at what he was talking about. He was using a a, um, a certain I think it's called a GAN the GAN multiplier or something like that, which is a very technical term. But I think he sees it in 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 three different phases. I think the first phase he sees is the, is the red phase, which is the downtrend. Then he sees the black phase, which is the accumulation trend, the downtrend over but a slight uptrend. And then the third trend is the aggressive uptrend. And I, I think that I agree with him that where we are is we here and we need to get confidence back into the market. I don't think confidence is going to come in immediately. And I think that once we get the confidence back in the market, we may go into one of these green zones where we actually go up as much as people don't believe it. You know, yeah. As much as people don't believe it. The middle section doesn't make sense. In fact, if you overlay this with the rational root version with the halvings, it's kind mm. of similar except for the middle part is off. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. The, the Look, the halving, I mean, it, it, we are now at 68% of the way to the halving and that's traditionally quite a good measure of the bottom right yep yeah exactly yeah. Fact, the, uh... the bottom has often come quite long before the new all-time high like yeah. uh, two one or two years before and i yeah. think in terms of halvings i think maybe five percent of people understood it for the second cycle i think maybe 25 percent of people understood it for the third cycle this time around for the fourth cycle i think 50% plus get it. And now it becomes a question of, that's the one. Now it becomes a question of who is going to front run the having, And I think a lot of people will. You know, they're not going to wait till April or March 2024 to do it. Now they could run in. This is where it breaks down. You see the middle of that chart after the 68%. This doesn't agree with yes. Bazina's chart. It breaks down. Let's quickly, let's quickly just overlay that with Bazina's chart. Um, okay, so the, the, that's the one. And then I think that's the other over here. 
Okay, yeah, there, there is a bit of a discrepancy. All right, listen, let's move on and let's talk about... Uh, can, we, can we just <clears throat> clarify one thing, which is really good that you both said. I take the chance to share one more time here because no, for sure. it's a good, good education for everyone. <clears throat> so this time there actually was inflow. Inflow means that there is actual money coming into the market and the news articles that you referred to talk about 117 million and that is actually inflow of money into these investment providers, which this article provided to. But here a lot of people are confused and a lot of news articles are saying that uh, it's billion, hundreds of billions going into the crypto market. So what is, why is there confusion? Because if you look in the total market cap here, we see that this goes from like 900 billion up to 1 trillion. So that's 100 billion. Why is this article talking about 100 million? That's only a thousands. So here there is a great opportunity for quick education that the market cap going up by 100 billion does not mean that it's 100 billion money flowing into the market. Market cap is just last traded price times uh, the circulating supply. And especially in Bitcoin and even more so in altcoins that we'll talk about next, it takes quite little money to move the price a lot. Uh, of course, that article was talking about specific investment products. It's not talking about the Bitcoin, uh, spot Bitcoin, because there is probably more money flowing in. But it is a huge difference between how much money is needed to move in and how much the market cap goes up. And uh, this is, a lot of people are confused, a lot of news outlets are confused, and it's good to be aware of that. It doesn't take that much money to move Bitcoin up by a huge amount, and even less money to move altcoins up, and the same way in the down direction. So yeah, I mean, look, the other thing with that is, so that is specific to CoinShares, which is, you know, it's a, it's a easy way for institutional investors to get exposure into the market. And I think it's a it's a decent sentiment indicator I've found in the past, but it's quite a small sample size. It's a very small fund, if you want to call it that. It's not really a fund. It's an electronically traded product, but not really an ETF. Um, also, yeah, so th that's a, the other one to look at is to look at what tokens is flowing into. So if you'll just call up that, that um, call it up again, and then let's just look at what, where the money flow is coming into. Oh, I see. I see you're on mute. So I think you need to unmute yourself. About that. So here we have it. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at where where is the money going into. So I think if you scroll down slightly, you'll find. Okay, there we go. So the, so the inflows were one one five into Bitcoin. One one five was into Bitcoin, and then withdrawals from the rest. So the majority of the money in this case, as you can see, is going into Bitcoin, which is showing you that. The institutional capital that's coming in here, they're not ready to trade altcoins yet. They're only ready to trade Bitcoin. And if you compare that to what's been happening recently on the Bitcoin dominance chart, which is over here, you can see that that's exactly, it's telling you exactly, exactly the same story. So I think we're at the, we're at the first part of the cycle where, in, where everybody, but specifically institutions, because we know that this, this specific cycle is being driven by institutions. Um, the inflows here, uh, um, are, are going straight into Bitcoin and not into uh, and not into the altcoins yet. So part one of the cycle. Part two, 
they'll go into Ethereum because that's what always happens. When they have confidence in the market, they start to spend their profits in, on, into Ethereum and then part three, large cap altcoins. And then if we're lucky enough to get a part four, we'll get the small cap altcoins or some kind of new narrative. That's pretty much how I see the flows. But I think the positive thing is that we've got it. We've got the money coming into Bitcoin. And that's the, the beginning of every cycle. The beginning of every altcoin cycle or super cycle has been exactly that. It's been, um, it's been uh, money flowing into Bitcoin and the dominance going up. We remember this from 2019. We remember this from even 2017 before the bull run. We remember all of this. This is exactly how it starts. So for me, that's another bullish positive sign. And then, I mean, one other thing which, which is really bullish for me is that when I look at, I think it's this tweet over here. I'm trying to find, here we go. So this is, this is Will Clemente, but he's talking about, essentially he's talking about the realized price of Bitcoin. He's saying that, you know, the short-term holders were at a, at a cost basis of 18.9 and the long-term holders were at a, uh, a cost base of 22.3. And somewhere in the middle, the, the net realized price of Bitcoin, um, uh, we're above the net realized price, both on the short-term basis and a long-term basis. When that happens, it means that people are in profit. When people are in profit, they have more confidence. When they have more confidence, they start to invest their Bitcoin money into altcoins. Um, and so really, if, if you do believe the cycle, we're in part one of the cycle now. And watch the signs. Watch the money start flowing out of Bitcoin and into altcoins because that will show you that we're moving to part two of the cycle. Yep, I like that actually because I see that happening. When you look at Bitcoin dominance, which is, as you've heard from me before, saying it's a bit of a joke. But over the last 90 days, uh, it looks like a score of 27. looks like Bitcoin is dominating. But over the last 30 days, it's definitely altcoins are dominating, where I think two-thirds of altcoins, the top 50 or top 75, outperformed Bitcoin just over the last month, which is uh -huh. stunning. With, with the exception of a couple of interesting names like Ethereum, Monero, Chainlink, they've just sucked compared to Bitcoin, which is very unusual. Normally, Ethereum outperforms, and that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for the future. I'll tell you in that in a sec. So this is Mohammed Alarian. He's he's just read the CoinShares report that we read, and he says two takeaways uh, from the notable inflow in the into digital asset product reported by CoinShares. It is consistent with the recent recent general loosening of financial conditions and the associated increase of risk taking. It displays greater differentiation by investors in Bitcoin. So what he's saying is that Bitcoin is almost like an over leveraged play to risk assets. As soon as we go risk on Bitcoin, is going to fly. That's pretty much what he's saying. And to me, I think we're going into a risk-on environment now. So. Yeah, Muhammad is very good, but he, I see something happened this week where he started saying, oh, the Fed are going to do 50 basis points. I don't know where he, he's getting that from. He may, no, he actually wrote the case. He actually wrote a case. He's kind yeah. of saying that Powell should go all in up front and then have, have the option to reduce as opposed to not have it while the, while the economy is in such a good position. And I think the economy is in a re reasonably good position. Yeah compared to what could have happened, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Anyway, listen, let's degen, because I don't know about your channels. On my channel, they're a bunch of degens. They couldn't give a shit about macro. They couldn't give a shit about, about Bitcoin. They want to degen. So let's degen. Let's talk about altcoins. You spoke about Ethereum. Ethereum has been a, an underperformer, right? Um, any guesses as to why Ethereum has been an underperformer? I think people are afraid of Shanghai. The lockup impending in March, which could bring about a sell-off. Plus, uh, I go back to the same theory of looking at technology, and this would be a good one for you, CTO, too, is when you look at all the, uh, let's call them legacy players, layer ones that have been around for five years plus, how 
can they compete with the murders of modern technology and scale and speed and integrated technology stacks that are coming to bear right now? That's the big question I have. And you saw a lot of Cardano whales who've been dumping on retail. Well, they've been dumping on retail for years and years, but they did that as well over the last couple of weeks. I think you mentioned that earlier this morning, Rand. But I'd like, I'd like to pose those two questions. One is what's going to happen to the legacy players are they toast or can they survive? And second, uh, what will happen to the, <laughs> I just got distracted there, to, uh, you know, lost my train of thought completely. Sorry about that. I want to I wanna just jump in. I just want to just jump in here and just say, often in technology, it's not the best technology that wins, but it's the technology that gets the network effect first that wins. Now, what I'm seeing is that clearly Ethereum has network effects. It was the first to get network effects. And it became the home of many, many sidechains and layer two scaling solutions, which are much better than Ethereum. Now, I think that what Ethereum has done by doing that is it's created a scenario where you have a mother chain and then you have all the best innovations coming out in subchains or sidechains or scaling solutions and whatever else. And by doing that, it, it will probably remain, in my mind, the number one smart contract blockchain. I don't see a Solana or an Aptos or any of those beating Ethereum at this stage of the game. Larson, I'm interested to hear what you think, because you're a telecoms man, and you understand network effect better than anyone, <coughs> anyone else. It's a very interesting subject. And uh, I think there are, as you say, I think there are learnings from other technology. And uh, telecom is a good example, because it's very similar. There is a huge network effect, even more. Here, we're just talking about software. People just need to update their wallet. In telecom, we had put physical devices in everyone's pockets and built one million uh, towers all over the world with one technology. And then we're trying to change that to another technology. And it turned out very difficult. So first we had 2G. For those of you who are very, very old, you remember we had 2G. Then we built 3G, which was much better, radically better than 2G. But it was never better enough to become the biggest technology. Never. Uh, it, it, 10 years later, 2G was still bigger than 3G, even though 3G was much better. But it wasn't better enough. It was only when we built 4G, which was even radically better, that 4G became the biggest technology. And I think we will see a similar effect here, that it's not enough to be a little bit better. It's not, to be, it's not enough to build a, you know, twice as good Ethereum as Ethereum. That's not enough. Uh, because of the network effect, right? You have to be, you have to be at least 10, 10 times better in everything. Uh, not only speed capacity, but in usability and uh, feeling of safety, security. Is it like reliable? You have to be 10 times better in everything, at least, maybe 20 times better. Then I think it can be replaced. I, I, I'm pro-innovation. I'm a believer in innovation. I think that just because something was first, it, it doesn't mean it can't be replaced. It's just difficult to replace it. And it need, the, the thing that succeeds to replace it is going to be radically better. And okay. could something like one of the new blockchains that is, is newer, uh, like Solana or Aptos or whatever project it is that is newer and you know, has a, a better scalability and so on, can they ever replace it? Yeah, I think they can. I think it's possible. But maybe they're not there today to replace it today because there's maybe not a feeling of reliability in the same way. 
uh, as um, in Ethereum, we will trust Ethereum maybe more that it won't stop or there won't be some issue. But over time, I don't subscribe to the idea that the thing that was there first has to always be there. And I think even with Bitcoin, which is like swearing in the church, I think that it's possible at one point to replace it with an even better cryptocurrency that is even more reliable and even more trusted. And the same thing for Ethereum, which is today the leading smart contract platform. I think one day it's going to be surpassed by something else that's even better, even more adopted, even more reliable and even better. And it has to be 10 times, 20 times better. But at one point, I think it will happen. I mean, I, I want to, I want to, I think I agree with you on Ethereum and technology in general, but I'm going to disagree with you on Bitcoin. And I'll tell you why I'm going to disagree with you on Bitcoin. Because if you see Bitcoin the way that I see Bitcoin as a digital store of value, which is for me, it's, for me, Bitcoin is a digital gold. It's never going to be a payments. You know, I think that lightning and whatever else, maybe, maybe not, but that's not why I'm invested in Bitcoin. I'm invested in Bitcoin because I'm believing it, believing it as a digital gold and an inflation hedge. Now, for that, you don't need better technology than there is. Because all you need to do is to be able to transfer when you want to transfer at a reasonable rate um, and to be unconfiscatable and, and, and whatever else and to have network effect and be accepted. So that's the main thing that you need is you need network effect and to be accepted. And I think from that point of view, I don't see Bitcoin being overtaken until the next monetary cycle, so to speak. When it comes to Ethereum, it's different because their performance is mass adoption and performance are highly required. So when we talk about money, I think that money is going to be part of Ethereum and specifically part of Ethereum layer two. I don't think it's going to be part of Bitcoin. I think the improvements in cash and payments and money are going to be part of Ethereum and Ethereum layer two. And then there may be a gap for things like Near Protocol, Aptos, Sui, Solana, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't think that that's going to happen on Bitcoin. I don't think it's going to happen on Bitcoin. James, what do you think? I agree. Bitcoin is a special. That's why I don't believe in the Bitcoin dominance index because it's comparing apples and oranges, and they're they're yeah. fundamentally very different. You know, I'm all about. And I always have been. The reason I jumped into Ethereum when I did way back when was because I was looking for tradfi disruption, and I believe that will come from layer ones, maybe layer ones plus layer twos. Okay. What about this layer one, which is now being priced at 16.7 billion dollars fully diluted ladies and gentlemen i present to you the most valuable layer one in the entire world behind ethereum aptos exactly it's even higher than cardano which is 16.7 avalanche 14.5 imagine being able to invest in a token that really has built nothing today hasn't really built a community and has a small token supply so it's easily manipulatable Ladies and gentlemen, I present you with Aptos. You know, goes well. Yeah, you know what's really strange is when you look at the relative volume traded over market cap, it's still super thin. Like no, 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 no. The volume is bigger than the market cap. The volume traded is bigger than the market cap every single day by multiple because of the okay. Korean dividends. Let me show you. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Okay, so it's been pumped. All right. It's absolutely crazy. You, you won't believe this. Okay. So look at the volume of a 24 hour volume in this case is just is 836 million. You take volume, you divide it by, by market cap. Yeah. It is 40, is it 40 times? It's 400 times. Wow. 300 times the market cap. It's been happening like this all day. Now, let me show you something else. 
click sort by 24-hour volume. Who's trading this? Upbit Korea. The majority of the volume in the last 24 hours has come from Upbit Korea. So the Koreans are degenning into Aptos and they're controlling the whole market. <laughs> and the question is, what happens if other parts of the world follow too late? Well, the, West always, the West always follow, the West always follow, or are following Korea this pump. If you look at all the tokens that have pumped in this cycle, not all, but a lot of them, the majority of the tokens that have pumped, the pump has come from Upbit Korea, which is, we know, it's, it's a bunch of Asian DGENs who who are much more degen than us than the Western degen, the Westerner degens. And you know, these guys are got these guys are trading 100 x leverage, where we're trading 10x. I don't know if you ever watch those Korean streams where the streamer live streams with music and he's trading on a hundred X leverage. Um, actually, if anybody in in our research group is watching this, drop me a link. I actually want to show the guys how 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 crazy these people are. But right now, they've got a hold of Aptos. And what they're doing is they're pumping up the price of Aptos like crazy. It went up to 20 bucks today. That makes Aptos valued at $20.5 billion. You understand what that wow. means, right? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. Look, positively, for the first time, this chart's actually broken down, which hasn't happened yet. Maybe this is the beginning of, of the real repricing, and then they'll leave it alone. Also, tomorrow in Korea, there's an Aptos hackathon and usually we know what happens with a big build up to the event just before the hackathon and then on the hackathon on the event it comes all the way down right that's interesting i'm just trying to check out the daily active users on aptos i think it was last time i checked it was about twenty thousand. Oh, it's not, it's, not it's, it's insignificant it's uh <laughs> so you divide 20 billion by twenty thousand. that's a fun number yeah i think i have it here hold on let's just uh okay let us in uh, let's quickly just, I'm looking at Solana, but let's compare it to Aptos. So daily active addresses on Aptos is 18,500. Whereas if you compare that to Solana, 457,000, Ethereum, 400,000, Polygon, 350,000. Near 69,000, Avalon, 33, and Aptos, 20. Look, it's a screaming, it's screaming short. I took the short. Uh, you know, I, I took the short. I just couldn't watch it anymore. You know, it's, it's one of those things where eventually you realize, that I think I can stay solvent for longer than the market can stay rational here. I, I think so. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Because otherwise, I may not be here next week. You may be doing a DCA on your own without me because I would have been wiped out. But I, I have taken the Aptos short. I just think it needs to be repriced. I think my price target is a maximum of $12. 12 but, you know, I can't justify Aptos being, being much more than, than Solana and, and, and everything else. Um, Hold on, I think my research team's found us something. Uh, yeah, I'll show you. He, this guy lost 600 million. Hold on, let me, let me just... so what they do? They sit on my pace. Oh, you thinking my pace? Asian, Asian, Korean pace. When you're betting against the Koreans, that's the culture you're betting against. When, when these guys are, are longing and shorting, 
that's the that's the thing. I watched them on an FOMC meeting one night, leveraging at hundred x leverage on the FOMC meeting. Yeah, <clears throat> Thato yeah. is amazing, amazing to watch, amazing to yeah. watch. Let's and, talk about uh, the- <clears throat> Let's talk about layer twos. Let's talk about Ethereum layer twos because there's a massive ETH layer two narrative building. Um, uh, this year, we've seen Optimism. We've seen um, uh, Metis. We've seen Matic. In fact, let's quickly go to the bubbles and just quickly go. Um, let's try and get uh, weekly. Let's see if we can see what, what, what went up. Mina Protocol. Um, uh, yeah, there's a massive layer two narrative. James, Anderson, are you guys investing in any layer twos? I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a big dig into the layer twos as well because I always thought, you know, number four best platform, which is layer one related, was Matic. But now with things like Arbitrum and Optimism coming, it's changed the whole game. So I think there is a Matic killer and it goes by the name of Arbitrum, especially when you look at metrics like TVL and adoption. It's going bombastic and they don't even have a token yet. So. I agree. I just want to raise. I just want to raise a concern around Arbitrum. So Arbitrum is opt- as an optimistic rollup solution, as as is Optimism, right? And I think when you compare optimistic rollups to zk, I think zk is a better, faster uh, uh, technology. Am I right? You, you're nodding your head. No, no, no. Uh, it's different. Optimism is an optimistic architecture, optimistic rollup, but Arbitrum is a virtual machine architecture, which is different. Okay. It's like it's like Polygon, so that's why I think Arbitrum has legs to be a Polygon killer. Okay, okay, better, and cheaper, faster. I think I think what Matic are doing is that they position themselves as the protocol that does any type of scaling solution, and they, they they're not talking a lot about zk. And they yeah. had the Hermes acquisition, et cetera, which is like nobody's using, which is quite disappointing. So who knows where all this ZK proof is going to go. But uh, I don't know. It's strange. And I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of layering it in all the complexity around Ethereum. We had this conversation last week on your channel, CTO, yeah. remember? And it's yeah. just getting too, too tricky. I feel it's complicated. I don't like complicated. I feel that, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't like any of the solutions. I feel it's too complicated. They're not there with usability. People are not, most people are not using it. Most people are still on lay one. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to, of course, watch all of them, see if any of them actually start picking up any steam. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I feel they're not there yet. I want to correct you there. You say most people are on layer one. That's not the case at all. So actually, there are many, many, many more users on, on, on the layer twos. So if you look at Ethereum, Ethereum has 470,000 daily active addresses. Polygon is 327,000. And then you act you add that Optimism and Arbitrum and all the other stuff. And actually, the layer twos are now... Uh, are now Settling more transactions than the Ethereum layer ones, so it, it's it, for me. It's definitely going to be a a lot of layer twos. So for me, it's definitely going to be definitely going to be a lot of layer twos, and they're going to be quite a few winners. Like I think you know, Starknet is coming out later on. Um, uh, um, Arbitrum is going to launch a token. 
Uh, I think there's going to be multiple of these layer twos. And I think these layer twos, um, if you can get in on a layer two and you catch the right layer two, I think you're going to make a lot of money. But getting in is, you know, right now a lot of them are airdrop related and stuff like that. The only way to get in is... But say Polygon, Matic, it's not really, I mean, they're marketing themselves as the layer two, but the Matic network is, uh, isn't is really layer two. It's like another network calling, okay, it's a side chain, but okay, then so is Solana a side chain to Ethereum. Um, but I know, I mean, yeah, uh, I don't have the data in front of me, but I mean, doing transactions on Polygon Matic isn't really a layer two on Ethereum. Yeah, the other thing goes back down to is friction and cost and finality. And this is where the layer twos bring about a lot of problems as well as, of course, attack surfaces as well. So it is it's just massively complicated and, again, also incredibly competitive. So picking the winner is hard, but if you follow the users, follow the TVL, it's all pointing to Arbitrum right now at this stage, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. I think also I think following where the users go, maybe one of them really wins big and uh, you know picks up the huge uh, attraction. Then I'm gonna follow that. But I'm just I'm just saying I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one it is. I think Polygon has done an amazing job at business development, <clears throat> but they're doing it on the Matic network. They are the number one. They really are the number one in 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 business development today. They their yeah. business they. They they number one in business and number one is marketing and you know when you combine the two of those, that's, mm. where, that's where they've become really really lethal. Yeah, and they've gotten I mean valuation is pretty good. It's gotten uh, reflected in the price also. Sure. All right, let's go. Last thing for today, let's talk about AI. I've seen a lot of AI narrative in crypto. Um, I, I I'm so excited, and I have to I have to market one thing. If you haven't if you haven't seen the video I posted this Friday on my mm -hmm. channel, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it if someone hasn't said it. But if you're like remotely interested in AI, go watch the video which has titled Aptos. It's like it it talks about Aptos at the end, but the beginning. It's about Aptos, but it's also about something else. And it's would you agree, Ran? It's worth watching. It was so smart when you did it. It was so smart. It, I, it, it, I, I must say, in the beginning of the video, I was like, what is Larson doing? <laughs> like, how is Larson doing? And then, and then I think it was, it, was, it was really a cool video, really, really good video. Yeah. I'm excited about AI. I don't know if I'm excited about the crypto AI plays. I mean, I think AI is in its base layer. I, I'm, I'm very excited about the future of crypto on AI. But I think when I look at the crypto offerings that we currently have, I don't know if they're the safest place to put your money at the current valuations. Like you look at, you know, things like Fetch, Ocean Protocol, Singularity. I don't know. It's too rich for me. I don't know how you guys feel about it. But, James? Yeah, I did put one of the AI plays in our portfolio, remember, on December 12th? Which one was it? RAN versus IA. GRT. Okay. Okay. Look, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, stuff is, is more data indexing, and I, I get that data indexing yeah. ultimately is, is an AI play, but the graph is not really exactly. Uh, so this this is what all the crypto companies are changing their their branding to jump on the AI bandwagon, which mm. so like storage was big, what a year, year and a half ago. You remember that time? 
Uh, everything is all about storage. Uh, the other ones interesting to look at is, of course, Fetch, you mentioned, and Ocean. They'd be my kind of top three, but they're all very risky. And tokenomics is very, far from perfect. Yeah, yeah AI is very risky. I want to show you, I've just discovered a gem. If you go to CoinGecko and you click on the Aptos ecosystem, right? What you get is the whole Aptos ecosystem, as you can see. <laughs> That's it. That's the what, page one of one. That's brilliant. Yeah. And if you, if, you, if you go to Twitter and look at their slide where you have these huge, huge. <laughs> okay. People are going to say we're salty and we've just missed the, 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 um, the pump. And that's why we're, we're uh, um, saying that. But I mean, if you compare that, like, even if you compare it to Cardano ecosystem, like when you click Cardano ecosystem, like there's an ecosystem, you know, there's, there's something. I don't know. Anyway. All right, listen, guys, I think if there's nothing else, I don't see any news breaking. Is there anything breaking on your side? Anything else? Mm -hmm. All right, amazing. So we'll see you guys next week. Next week is on James's channel, right? And yep. we're back to our normal time. We'll rotate. Normal time again. Okay. Eight, that's 8 a.m. Pacific? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Good stuff. Cool. I'll see you guys, I'll see you guys again next week. Until then, Thank have you, fun. Trade well. See you later. Bye.